You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Indringa, author and consultant. Bob focuses on the skills needed to live a life of integrity and how to acknowledge it in others. Let's dive in. Well, Bob, welcome to the No Gray Areas podcast. We've known each other for over a decade now. We have. And um, you've become almost a mentor to me in a lot of ways. Like I've had some some pretty tough times in my life where I called you up and said, hey, can we meet? And you've you've talked me off some cliffs, I think, at some points and given me some great advice. But mm. um, man, I you are going to be such a perfect guest for what we're wanting to do with this podga- podcast. Mm. As I shared with you, it's called No Gray Areas, and it's built around really this concept of we want we want to help eventually young people, especially, but all people understand uh, the value of the decisions we make, the choices really matter. So we're mm. going to get into that in a little bit with you. But I want I want first of all our audience just to get to know you. So where were you born? Where are you from? Small town in western Michigan. Western Michigan. So yeah. so you know cold weather then definitely. Right? I don't go back there in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> when did you stop going back there in the winter? Oh, when we left uh, Michigan State University, uh, my wife and I uh, were assigned to Washington, D.C. Yeah. With okay. the Army. So that got us out there. And we go back there in August for a week. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just a really quick side note. You go back. You and your wife are still friends. You have some friend groups that you've been doing stuff with for decades, right? Uh, 47 years now. Uh, four couples have been hanging out together every year for a week or two. That's unbelievable. Like that yeah. kind of friendship and the depth and... It's fantastic. Yeah. All of our kids know one another and the grandkids. We've been to all the weddings, all the college graduations. That's just incredible. Yeah. And you that that friend that friend group started in college? In 1975, uh, we were all out of college. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. So let me okay. go back. So so you grew up in Western Michigan, mm-hmm. right? And then and all through like high school, graduated high school there? I did from okay. a small school, 72 in my class. Okay. Well, you beat mine. Mine was 18. <laughs> my graduating class <laughs> no, was kidding. 18. Yes. <laughs> small town in Montana. So, okay. So where did you go from there? Well, um, I went to Michigan State University and Sue came from the D- Detroit area and we met the first week of college. We married after four years, yeah. and I stayed four years for a doctoral degree, and she taught, helped me through uh, graduate school, and uh, then we left in 67 for Washington, D.C. And then what, what, what were you going to Washington, D.C. for? I had a deferred ROTC commitment. Okay. Uh, it took me there, and I got involved with the National Prayer Breakfast and... Uh, some of the good things there, good churches. And um, uh, out of that time, meeting one of the Congress uh, persons uh, from Minnesota was invited to uh, come up to the Hill and help rewrite the Higher Education Act. Higher education was my graduate program. So I spent two and a half years uh, developing and trying to sell to the Democrats uh, what's now called the Pell Grants. Okay. And that was probably two-thirds of all of my time there yeah, on the hill. Yeah, Wow, wow. So how long were you guys there in D.C.? Oh, wow. Together, uh, throughout our career, two tours there totaling about 22 years. Oh, a lot of, a lot of your life. A lot then. of years. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 
And were you were you working with education when you went there? Is that why you were going there? Well, or was that kind of a... I thought I would go back to a campus uh, right after the army, but I've never been back to one campus. Uh, <laughs> Isn't but, that how life works? But right? I, it, I've never applied for everything that I've done, and people think I'm a planner. Yeah. Except for my own life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think God was much more creative. So. Yeah, I would think that you're a planner. Just knowing you a little bit that I know about you, but you're saying most of how your life has gone, you didn't really plan for. None, yeah. none of it. I think that's probably more how most lives are, don't you think? Well, I think a lot of people don't end up in a career uh, that matches their undergraduate choices. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty, pretty normal. But um, for me, I was very happy where I was and then got a call and we prayed about it and said, well, this seems to make sense. And so uh, all of my career has been um, really, I think, the Lord opening doors that I never thought of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you've opened up a lot of doors, too. That's what's yeah. amazing. So you went from D.C., and then you ended, You were in Minnesota, right? Was that after D.C.? Uh, well, the congressman that I work most closely with, Al Qui, from Minnesota, chose to run for governor. Mm -hmm. And on a one-day's notice, uh, we decided to accept his invitation to manage his campaign. Never been in Minnesota except for one day. It's as cold as Michigan, right? Pardon? It's as cold as Michigan. It's colder. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so without any knowledge of managing campaigns or of Minnesota, in three days we had sold a house, bought a house, and we're in Minnesota. And you're in charge of running a campaign. And I'm in campaign. No money, no staff, no knowledge. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how did that go? Well, we won by five points. Hey, that's that's a success. Something something went right. <laughs> something went right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I was in the governor's office and enjoying that. Uh, was director of uh, strategic planning and some other things. And then got a call from a state senator asking if I would be CEO of what's called the Education Commission of the States. It was based in Denver, so the governor I work for encouraged me. He's he's an education governor, and he said if you go out there, you'll be able to help us from there. So you were you were working a lot with with in both the government and education, kind of a combination of those two. Policy at the state level and national level. Yeah, yeah. Education policy. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. So what happened after Denver? Um, You're tracking with your life here now. Yeah, really. Well, I worked for a board of fifty-five people, and I'd never worked for a board. Never thought anything about working for a board. A third of them were governors, and a third of them were legislators, and a third of them were state education officials. And of course, 55 was pretty dysfunctional. Yeah, that's a, that's a large board. Yeah. But I had worked in Congress, which is a lot larger and more dysfunctional. <laughs> so, But I, I left and I said, I want to do something to help faith-based nonprofits understand good governance mm -hmm. and jumped into that and I'm I'm still quite involved in that topic. Yeah. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of that for In fact, you've wrote a few books about that, right? I have. Yeah, yeah. How many books have you written? Uh depending on how you count them, 4 5 maybe. Yeah. I usually do them with a co-author. I like iron sharpening iron when mm -hmm. you're writing a book and mm -hmm. trying to uh, capture good content, not just one author's personality. Yeah. 
So we're, this podcast isn't necessarily about board governance, but I think that there's a lot there's there's a a, a lot of things that connect, right? So yeah. why was it that you wrote those books? Like, what did you see? What was the gap that you saw that needed to be filled? Right. The first book um, that we started on was about presidential transitions. Uh, later in life, I was 12 years president of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, and I saw over 100 presidential transitions in 12 years. And um, I asked a colleague who was a, a CEO of another private college association to join me, and we just wanted to help uh, people uh, know whether becoming a president was a good fit for mm -hmm. them, uh, how a campus should successfully transition from uh, one president to the next and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And the next book was um, the nonprofit board answer book that was with Ted Engstrom, who was one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. He was 12 or 15 years older than I. Mm-hmm. And um, he had written 40 books in his lifetime. So uh, I said, sure, let's write a book. Dad, that's awesome, you know. And I was overwhelmed. Yeah. And I learned how you write 40 books. You, you write three or four first, and then uh, you get people to be a co-author, and they do 90% of the work. <laughs> so you did 90% of the work on that one. Uh, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read that one, so most of that was yours. Yeah, okay. Q&A format was good. Yeah, yeah, it was very good, yeah. So the, the transitions, that was probably, you, you said you saw 100 transitions mm -hmm. in, in how many years? 12 years. In 12 years. So mm -hmm. what percentage would you say of those went well or smooth? Um. Two-thirds. Okay. Two-thirds went well. Mm -hmm. But there's still a third, and that's that's a pretty good chunk, though. That it... Yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons why mm -hmm. a presidency doesn't go well. Uh, often it's the process of selecting one. Often it's uh, problems that the board creates, like inviting the former president to hang around for a year, yeah. Yeah. thinking that they can help raise money or whatever. And um, a part of it is some presidents don't like to be evaluated. Yeah. And a number of those who were asked to leave never had an annual evaluation, which is really critical, I think. So working with boards and doing a lot with that, what, what, what would you say are some of the, I think of what Peter Drucker wrote way back in the, wasn't it the 80s or something, where he said 75% of boards are dysfunctional. And I don't know that that's changed a lot, but what, mm -hmm. what would you say are some of the reasons for the dysfunction on boards. And again, yeah. I don't know that we have like a, a large listening audience that are dealing with boards, but I suspect we have some people that are on boards mm -hmm. or maybe will be working with boards in the future. So what, what leads to that dysfunction? Well, uh, a lot of it is uh, lack of clarity of roles. What is the role of the board vis-a-vis -vis the CEO and executives? Um, what's the role of committees? Uh, what's the role of the chairman of the board? Is he the leader of the board or is the CEO the leader of the board, which in some cases is a dysfunction? How does staff get involved? How do you keep boards focused on policy rather than management issues? Uh, the size of the board, mm -hmm. sometimes too large to mm -hmm. be functional. Um, no term limits. Some boards you can be on for 20, 25 years, and they're that all... That causes problems? Today, 
Today, mainly, yeah. uh, there are still a lot of uh, faith-based organizations that, as I've said in one article, are too old, mm -hmm. too white, and too male. So um, the diversity is important on a board, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And um, those are some of the reasons. Yeah, Bob, you have, you have just uh, decades of experience in government, uh, governance, with education. You had just mentioned that you were the president of, this is a lot of letters in here, but CCCU, right? Did I that's get it. That right? Good Christian for you. Coalition of Colleges Con and Universities. Well, that's really close. Consul for Christian Colleges and Universities. Okay. Okay. I was close. Well, we changed the name in my early years there. So. Okay. And wasn't there, it was something like 200 uh, there, universities or there, colleges? There are about 180. Yeah. And 20 some nations now and uh, 20 different denominations plus uh, non-denominational colleges. So it's, it's quite a mix. Yeah. And those are the ones left historically from 900 religious colleges. Many of them have gone down the slippery slope as yeah. some would say. Yeah. So there aren't uh, maybe one out of nine remaining that are distinctly Christian. Wow. So in, in all these decades of experiences you've had in, in leadership, watching other leaders, um, and especially because this podcast is No Gray Areas about the importance of integrity, how do you see integrity mm. played out, the importance of integrity played out in, 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 in both our individual life, but, but even leadership? Why is that yeah. so critical? Well, you tipped me off at, the, at this topic would come up. So I've given some thought about it. And um, first, I tried to define it. Mm -hmm. For me, what mm -hmm. I've considered it to be, in my mind, it's a, it's a fruit bowl of positive attributes of a person. I, like I couldn't that. come up like with that. one, uh, but I but I added it's a fruit bowl of positive ad, uh, attributes a person lives out with consistency. Uh, you find a lot of people who 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 show integrity in one area of their life, in another area of their life, not so. So this fruit bowl for me. Uh, I wrote these down. Uh, honesty you can count on in all situations. Hmm. Uh, the person keeps his or her word. Uh, he or she treats all people with respect and dignity. Uh, there's a big element of authenticity, which might include transparency, uh, being vulnerable, being humble, and then uh, the leader of integrity is usually good at discerning truth, hmm. uh, makes wise decisions, and, and, and knows how to say no uh, based on uh, discernment. Yeah. It's tempting, you know, as a leader to always see something that's a little bit bigger, a little bit more prestige, a little bit better pay, a little bit better location or whatever. And uh, so people get in trouble, I think, saying yes to things that they should not because they lack discernment about themselves yeah. as well as maybe the, the role that they're being asked to play. Yeah. Anybody who's listening right now knows why anytime I would meet with you, I'd bring my notebook with me mm -hmm. and a pen because I, you always have such great stuff and I end up having to write things down like that. That fruit bowl is so good. And what you're saying is that Every one of those is important, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, there's there's actually a lack of integrity if you had like three of those that you're doing pretty well and you're ignoring the other ones. Exactly. Right. So all of those are important. That's the way I see it. Uh, 
pad I see it as A plus B plus C plus D plus E equals integrity. So if you leave out C, you're not consistently a person of integrity. And we all have pieces of our life, I suppose, that we would not want to have public. And um, money, sex, and power we've seen almost weekly yeah. is one thing that does people in. Yeah. We mentioned earlier one of the uh, big star anchors just uh, imploded. Mm -hmm. We've mm -hmm. seen pastors mm -hmm. and leaders of major uh, parachurch ministries mm -hmm. uh, where they didn't have transparency and maybe in their evaluations they didn't have honesty. I mean, they lacked some things, but they were, they were successful in many other areas. And today, sadly, I think it's difficult to find people of integrity in, in, in the public eye, at least. Mm -hmm. Power corrupts. Yeah, yeah, money corrupts, sex corrupts. We see corrupts. that throughout history, right? Just read uh, the Bible. The history. Bible's full of history. People, it really power is. corrupted. It really is. And so a person of integrity knows that and builds safeguards around their life. Mm. Uh, knowing that they're vulnerable. Man, I love that building safeguards because that's part of the problem, isn't it? Especially as the, the higher you go in leadership, the less you hear. The higher you go in leadership, the less people talk to you, maybe. The higher you go in leadership, the easier it is to have masks on and start thinking. And especially, you just mentioned this, as long as you're successful in something, like if, if your job is to lead this company and move it or lead this thing and move it forward and you're moving it forward, people start ignoring some of those other little things sometimes, don't they? Exactly. I don't want to name particular cases, but uh, even in my sphere where organizations that I've worked with before, the leader has gone down big time and headline news, and people were amazed until you begin to hear uh, the situation in one that you and I know pretty well. The wife was the chairman of the board. Mm -hmm. The daughter was CEO. Mm -hmm. The board's names are still not public. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no audit of a separate uh, organization that the CEO used mm -hmm. to um, advance this darker part of his life. So I think we all have to define the lanes that we can stay in and, and be safe. And, and like a highway, you go off the shoulder, stay there too long, you're going to be in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. You talked about safeguards. You used that word mm -hmm. a moment ago, and I think that's so good. And again, we're, we're somewhat talking about people in leadership, but this is for anybody, right? Anybody at any, exactly. any place in life having yeah. safeguards. What are, what are some, I'm just curious, for you personally, yeah. because this is one of the things I've, I've, loved and respected about you so much bob um i've i think i've grew in maturity at a younger age in my 20s or 30s mm. i think i had a mentor in my life and i told him i'm like i, mm. I need to see you finish well yeah and I, I don't need that and i think that's maturity where i'm going i don't need that i've i've been disappointed enough now where i go people are human but it is very refreshing to see someone like yourself who's uh, further along in life you've lived decades and decades with integrity, no one's done it perfectly, 
But you obviously have put some safeguards in place. You've done some things that, that protected you from that because you've been in powerful positions. What, what kind of safeguards did you have? Mm. Anticipating that, I, I wrote down four. I think there are more, four that I have. And I was influenced uh, as a young man. I was in a church where Billy Graham came to, uh, you know, to the service. Mm. And he left early with a couple security people. And what I learned about that is he never rode in a car with a woman. Mm. Now, that sounds pretty outlandish to some. But uh, I worked for this governor I mentioned earlier, and he picked up on that. Uh, even though the police drove him every place in a car, he would never drive with one, a woman staffer mm -hmm. with him. Things like that. When I got to this Education Commission of the States, we were remodeling. We had a staff of about 120, and we were remodeling to go larger. And I put uh, glass, uh, eight or 10 inch glass panes in, in all the doors. So anybody walking by could look in and see. Especially my door, but I thought, well, let's do it for every, every mm -hmm. door. So mm -hmm. the, the ones that I jotted down is first you have to have a clear purpose for life. Uh, if, if you don't have a purpose, you're going to be tempted to, to go down rabbit trails. Yeah. The purpose guides decision-making. The second one was um, to be very selective in who I choose to hang out with. Hmm. It's, um, it's not just what you eat, it's, but it's like that. It's, uh, it's like garbage in, garbage out, that old saying, I think uh, we become a, a, a lot like the, the people we hang out with. Can I just jump in really yeah. quick and just say again, this, this podcast, No Gray Areas by Joe Gagliano, um, the book that he wrote and the movie that's being made, one of the things he brings up is he says your environment, mm -hmm. you become like the environment you're in. And that's what was yeah. happening to him. Some of the poor decisions he made in his early 20s was because of the environment he was mm -hmm. hanging out with. So that's what you're, you're saying, right, is you need to be very Absolutely selective clear. on who the people you're, you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah, even back in college, I gave my life to Christ as a, at the end of my freshman year. I was in a fraternity, and there were invitations to go places and do things. And I just said, you know, no, mm. I, I know that I'm not that strong. Mm -hmm. Got upperclassmen with me and uh, we're going to a keg party at a VFW thing off campus because campus was dry back then. And I said, no, I, I don't think so. Mm. Um, and I've tried to hold to that. Uh, another one is to have a few mentors who model integrity. Mm. Some of the men and women who modeled integrity for me, uh, we never talked about their being a mentor to me, but they were just by watching them mm -hmm. and maybe working uh, on the edge of what they were doing. Uh, the congressman who went to Minnesota and won the governorship, he's 98, he's still revered by both parties because mm -hmm. he's a man of integrity. Wow. And I've seen him dozens and dozens of times make choices and do things. Well, he was a mentor. He was also my boss mm -hmm. and also a brother in Christ. And then uh, the fourth one is to be accountable, to be consciously in agreement with my wife and with three or four other men in my case that you can ask anything you want. I'm accountable to you. 
as well as to the Lord. And uh, I find a lot of leaders, when I ask them, so to whom are you accountable? And they kind of, I'm accountable to the Lord. I said, no, no. Yeah. Who among your peers uh, are you accountable to? Are you fully transparent to? And not many have that. Yeah. And the problem is, you know, Pat, when you're in a senior leadership position, you don't have anyone that really feels secure enough mm -hmm. to challenge you mm -hmm. on things. Yeah. So you need people who see you informally, formally, and in social, and athletics, whatever. You need people who, who know you pretty well, mm -hmm. and you give them permission to say, uh-uh. They see you slipping. Yeah. And they're, they're going to call you out on it. They're going to call tellers. you out. They're yeah. going to yeah. ask questions. Yeah. And you have to be willing to say, um, it's to my benefit that they do that. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to be threatened by that. Yeah. You know what that makes me think of, Bob, though, is um, clearly if anybody's read the Bible, and not ever all of our listeners are faith-based, um, faith but many are, but anybody who's read the Bible would know that it's very clear in there that God would not consider anybody great that's not humble. Mm -hmm. And all these things that you're talking about take a, a, an aspect of humility, right? Mm -hmm. to, to make yourself accountable to someone else, to have a mentor in your life and, and, and say, hey, I don't know everything. I need to learn from someone who's further along in life. Those all take humility, don't they? They do, and you're right. You don't have to be a Christian to decide that you want to be a, a, a woman or a man of integrity. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do you do that? Uh, we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And if we acknowledge our weaknesses and say, so therefore, I'm vulnerable there, Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how can I define the parameters within which I can live with integrity, outside of which I'm vulnerable? So you mentioned four things there. You talked about living on purpose, right? Did, mm -hmm. I, did, I, did I cut you off, or did you have another one, or is that it? No, I, I think when you don't have a purpose, you're vulnerable to, you're, you're tempted to go to some place that seems better. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. So if you have true. a purpose, you know that to be tempted to go that way is not you, but it just looks attractive. So I think a purpose is important. Uh, I think we, sh you and I share a purpose at one level, at a, at a deeper level. We've been gifted differently. So we, we want to be able to say no, because that's not part of my giftedness, my purpose, my mm -hmm. calling, whatever you want to label it. Yeah. Well, so you listed four. You said a, a purpose, who you hang out with, um, mentors, accountability, having accountability. So let's, let's just imagine, um, I mm. know you're not easily offended, but this might be offensive, but let's say someone said this. Those seem awful old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. What, what would your response to that be? Uh, they are. They're a couple thousand years old if, <laughs> if you're a Christian. Uh, but also they're proven. Um, I've so seen good. many, many uh, surveys of employees. What do they want most in a boss, mm -hmm. in a leader of the company, leader of the university, leader of the team? Mm -hmm. And integrity is always number one. People of all stripes, faith or no faith, there's something in our design that wants us 
to be like someone with integrity. We value integrity. I don't know anyone, do you, who would say, ah, integrity is not what it's cooked up to yeah, be. Yeah, 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 no, no. And I loved, I loved how you answered that, where you simply said, when I asked, are they old-fashioned? You said, they are. But isn't that one of the things that, that make them so effective? They've been proven. Yeah. And like you said, not just for decades or hundreds of years, for thousands of years, these things have yeah. been proven. Yeah, I'm, I'm a guy, my sort of uh, pattern, my makeup is I look for what works. I'm, I'm a collector of what works. And uh, so even in, in working with governing boards, um, hey, that's a creative idea. That really works here. But I want to see it work at five other places. Mm. Now, if that idea is working over and over and over again, I say that's a principle I'm going to hang on to. Yeah. And these are principles. That's what you're saying, right? Like these principles, you've seen them work. Over and over and over, yeah. big organizations, small organizations. So, yeah, I call yeah. them principles or best practices. Yeah. So in life, there are best practices. Um, I chose uh, not to smoke because my family uh, had a few smokers that uh, died from it. And uh, I had a favorite uncle who was killed in an auto crash by a drunk driver. And I said, you know, the risk of doing just those two things is not because of my beliefs. It's because they're dangerous. They weren't working. They weren't, they working. weren't working. They wouldn't work for me, and they wouldn't work for others that, that mm. I came in touch with. So even yeah. though I might enjoy yeah. some of that, yeah, not worth it. Yeah. So where have, again, you, you have so much experience, and you've seen so many organizations, and, and even in individual lives, where have you seen a lack of integrity? Like, wh where have you seen that in a negative way? What does that do to both an organization to individual lives when people mm -hmm. lack integrity? The, I, there, I had several heroes in Congress. And sadly, I don't see that in politics today. So that's what's in the news a lot. And it just saddens me mm. Uh, mm. when an entire caucus will look at a complex bill and just go along. Hmm. Now, most bills in Congress, I learned, uh, might have 55 things you agree with and 32 things you disagree with. You have to make a choice. Am yeah. I, I going to vote for it or vote against it? I remember being on the floor once when a Democrat from the other side came over to my boss, Republican, who was uh, also on the agriculture committee, and the guy said to him, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is unusual, they hardly ever walk across the aisle. Mm. And he said, Al, he said, you know my district in Nebraska. He said, should I vote for this bill? Now, Al was on the agriculture committee. He says, I am going to vote for it, but honestly, for you in your district in Nebraska, it's not gonna help. Wow. And the guy said, thank you. Wow. went back over and voted against the bill because he was voting for his district and Al was uh -huh. honest enough to tell him. I was among a few, some young Turks when I was on the Hill in my late 20s that really wanted Senator Mark Hatfield to run for president. Mm -hmm. He had been governor of Oregon. He was 30 years in the Senate, chairman of the Appropriations Committee, very articulate, good-looking, uh, really, really liked him. 
Well, it was during the Vietnam War, and in the 60s, uh, might have been the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, there was a big vote in the Senate. Basically, to vote for it was to say, send more money, send more troops. And uh, Mark Hatfield was the one on a vote of 99 to 1. Well, within the Republican Party, his chance of being a candidate for president just went down the drain. He knew that. So when he voted, he was definitely voting with what he felt because he knew he was giving away his opportunity to be a president. Yeah, he was, he was voting wow. his conscience. So today I look and say, wait a minute, how can that many believe whatever conspiracy theory or lie or whatever? And it's really out of self-preservation. So a person of integrity has to have some purpose beyond uh, self-advancement. Yeah. yeah, wow. Well, well, Bob, thank you so much, man. Thank you, first of all, just for me personally, for being mm -hmm. a mentor in my life, for someone who has lived this so well, that you put these practices that you're talking about, they're not just something you wrote about or you talk about, but you've lived them out in your life. And because of that, you've lived a, a good life, a, a, a life that's, that, that someone like myself would want to emulate. And, hmm. and you've been blessed because of that. I mean, you have a uh, beautiful wife now. How many years have you been married? 57 and counting. 57 and counting. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And so just incredible. And so thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Um, so one of the ways that we, we finish this <laughs> up sometimes is... Uh, Two truths and a lie. Yeah, uh, audience has got to know you a little bit. Uh, I, I know you. Let me see if we can figure this out. Oh, you told me that you might ask me that. Yes, yeah. Well, I had to be creative, right? I had yeah. to come up with something that uh, would sell. Well, and um, it's ironic, too, having no gray areas, and then I'm asking you to lie. So okay, that's part yeah. of the humor in this. But Yeah, it is. It is. So you're going to tell me which of these is a lie? Yeah, I'm going to try to. Yes. Okay. With only three, you only get one shot. Yep. Number one, I won the state 880-yard run as a high school senior. Okay. Number two, our grandson is a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. And number three, I worked under six different governors of both parties during my career. Oh, man. Oh, those are good. Those are good. I'm going to go with the 880 is true just because you call it an 880 and not the 800 meters, right? We change it. So I'm, I'm thinking that's probably true. Is that right? No. Oh, I missed it right <laughs> away. I missed it right away. So yeah. the other two are true. Yeah. So you have a grandson that's a Rhodes Scholar? He is. At Oxford? He is. Uh -huh. Okay. And then you worked on, on both sides, six different? Six different governors. When I was at the Education Commission of the States... Uh, I get a new governor as chair every year yeah. from the opposite party. Okay. Okay. So I had to yeah. get close to and understand and, and serve well a Democrat in the next year, Republican, and back to a Democrat. They were all education oriented, so I enjoyed and respected them all uh, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I couldn't, couldn't do that forever. One of the Democratic governors didn't think I was Democratic enough. Okay, okay. <laughs> so he said, I'll accept your invitation to step down. <laughs> to step down. It was a nice way of saying you're out of here. Yeah, you're out yeah. of here. Yeah. Well, wow. Hey, I usually do pretty good with those. So you stumped me right away. That's good. But congratulations on your grandson. What an honor that is. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much. Thanks for living a good life and yeah. for, for, for leading well. Yeah, let me just say that 
you've been a mentor to me too. Mm. I don't think you can mentor someone without being mentored. Mm. Um, so your interest in learning, mm. uh, your interest in tapping uh, the wisdom of others have been models for me. So I thank you, Pat. No, thank you, Bob. Sincerely. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.